Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org by clicking the donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. So this month, Roy and I have decided we are talking about the three marks of existence. We like lists in this lineage, Theravadan Buddhism. So we also found out that Sunday mornings are also doing the three marks of existence. So if you go to Sundays and Wednesdays, you're getting a lot of that. Um, the three marks of existence uh, are anicca, anatta, and dukkha, if you want the fancy terms, uh, briefly translated to imperfect, impersonal, and impermanent. The three like marks of being a human. Things don't last, things normally kind of suck sometimes, and yeah, this not-self anatta one is, is, is a little more difficult to talk about, but it's the idea that we don't have a fixed self, which we'll get to. Um, this month, we're focusing on dukkha, or suffering. And we talked about a lot of dukkha last week. How many of y'all were here last week? Yeah, so you heard us talk about all the different kinds of dukkha, or all the different kinds of suffering. And there's one in particular that when I was first learning about dukkha and about suffering and about all that, that really spoke to me and it was Sankara dukkha, which is the suffering that is caused by mental formations or thoughts we have (laughs) in response to stimuli. And I was like, Yep, that's me. That's, that's me. And uh, I felt really called to, as we, you know, I'm doing a deeper dive on Dukkha today, and then next week Roy will do a deeper dive on Dukkha, and then we'll come together and finish, uh, finish the month together. But I knew that this is what I wanted to cover because it is... One of those, y'all ever have a teaching where you're just like, it sticks in your head and you know that like that's what feels relevant? This has felt relevant for me for since day one, (laughs) since I first heard it. So we're going to talk about the roots of this teaching, Sankara Dukkha. I am calling it the second arrow. Okay, and I'll talk about why here in a second. So we're going to talk about the roots of this teaching of the second arrow. We're going to talk about what the heck is the first arrow. And then what the heck is the second arrow? And then we'll talk about practices to let go of the second arrow. Make sense? Spirit fingers, happy, healthy, good, enough. Yes, those are jazz hands, close enough. We get there. That's my favorite joke we make here. Jazz hands versus. Roots of the teaching. So I am. woke up at like 7 a.m. to start writing this talk and I've been working on it all day. And I tend to get a little nerdy about the roots of things. I think it's, I don't know why, I like history. I think I like to know where these things come from more so than just being like, here you go. I wanna tell you a 
little bit about its, its roots and why it's important to us here and why it's important to meditation in general. So this teaching comes from a sutta, the Salata Sutta, or Salata, yeah. So it comes from, in when we group up the discourses, right, because all of the Buddhist teachings are like in these books, they used to be passed down through, um, just through orally, like orally translated or transmitted. So like they would sit and chant a sutta and then they'd learn how to chant it and then they'd keep chanting it. So it never got written down till later on. And so when they finally got written down, they got kind of grouped into like long ones and short ones. So there's a book of long discourses. There's a book of short discourses. This one comes from a collection of shorter discourses or suttas and they're all arranged by theme, which I love. Super fun. This one, uh, so that's called the Samyutta Nikaya, is the big collection. So it's the big collection of the Samyutta Nikaya, and then it comes down into the theme, which is Vedana, which is the Pali term for feelings. I like feelings, right? So it's basically a collection of stories and suttas all based around this idea of feelings and feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The sutta itself, like I said, is the Salata Sutta, and I want to read it to you. So it says, and it's, I've kind of paraphrased a, a few things here, so I've taken a, a bit and left a few out um, for our purposes, but it says, monks, an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person feels feelings of pleasure feelings of pain and feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. A well-instructed person, disciple of the noble ones, also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. So then what's the difference? What distinction, what distinguishing factor is there between a well-instructed disciple and a run-of-the-mill person? When touched with the feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person sorrows, grieves, laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught. So he feels two pains, mental and physical. Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterward were to shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pains of two arrows. In the same way, when touched with the feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person sorrows, grieves, laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught. So he feels two pains, physical and mental. Now, the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, when touched with the feeling of pain, does not sorrow, does not grieve or lament, does not beat his breast or become distraught. So he feels one pain, physical, but not mental. Just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterward did not shoot him with another one so that he would feel pain of only one arrow. In the same way, when touched with the feeling of pain, the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones does not sorrow, does not grieve or lament, does not beat his breast or become distraught. He feels one pain, physical but not mental. The thing I love about the beginning of this is that I feel like yes, uh, last week when we talked about dukkha, there was some like, okay, well, do enlightened people not feel pain? Like, do enlightened people just like bliss out all the time is that what this is and right here it's such good evidence that like oh no there's still pain you know like because in in this lineage we're working towards awakening we're working towards enlightenment 
And it's like, I guess, bad news in a way of like, no, there's still going to be pain. <laughs> like, there'll still be physical pain that we endure. The difference is when somebody's well instructed, and what they mean by that is just practices, gives a shit. <laughs> when someone practices and is well instructed, they don't cause themselves any unnecessary suffering, right? So, do we get this concept of the second arrow? I can elaborate more if you need. But essentially, I mean, they literally talk about it like if you got shot with an arrow and then all of a sudden you were like bleeding and had an arrow, but were super concerned about like where it came from and like what kind of bow they were using and that kind of stuff. And just like kind of torturing yourself with those thoughts. That's what this is. Make sense? Awesome. And again, that's where that pleasant, unpleasant, neutral comes in. This is really, I find more of a the Sankara Dukkha comes from our response to unpleasant, which is why I had you talk about your least favorite TV show, right? Because we want it to change, we want it to be different. When we experience unpleasant, most of the time we're like, no thank you. And so we'll talk about the first arrow. So I, I pulled from the sutta when touched with the feeling of pain, because you notice the suttas are pretty um, repetitive right like said the same thing a bunch again because it was passed down orally the repetition was nice and helpful then now it's a little redundant but it's a good way to commit it to memory so i kind of split it up so the first half of of the the more uh repetitive part when touched with a feeling of pain y'all heard me say that a bunch right when touched with a feeling of pain so we experience pain, or sometimes I'll call it unpleasant. You know, we experience pain or unpleasant, um, and neutral and pleasant for that matter, in the senses, right? So we have the six sense spheres in this lineage, um, you know, which are basically all the same things we learned in school. Uh, the senses are sight, sound, smell, touch, taste. But the last one that we add in that was game-changing for me was thought. Thought as a sense. Novel. Very neat. Because then it made me realize that the brain just does this. <laughs> I can't control it. It's just like, just like the ears hear, the mind thinks. Good news. And so when we experience pain, most of the time, I would beg to say all of the time, unpleasantness or pain comes from one of these sense doors, right? Personal examples, let's go down the list. Sight. Uh, last week, I was supposed to bring a friend to meditation. I forgot, they texted me, and it was an unpleasant text. I was like, oh no, <laughs> right? So sight, unpleasant. Sound, traffic. You know, how many times does traffic show up here? Unpleasant. Smell. I had to pick up all the dog poop in the yard the other day. Unpleasant. <laughs> Unpleasant. Taste. I hate capers. Don't like them. Unpleasant. Touch. This one's a fun story. Um, in August, I went rock climbing for the first time. And it was awesome. And I was crushing it. I was really crushing it. As I climb east and I got all the way up to the top of this like really cool run and I was like, look at me go. And I did not know how to fall correctly. 
So I fell from the top of one of these runs and I just ate shit. Um, and I found out later that I had really, really messed up my ankle, like a lot. Like I had a, I was like feeling like I was gonna pass out, it was crazy, but I had a really bad ankle sprain. Painful. That's when I say touch, like pain, that feeling in the body. Thought. What's an unpleasant or painful thought? And the one that came to mind for me when I was writing this was my car payments coming up. Unpleasant. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have that? So this is the first arrow. Like, so take a second, think. Sight, can you think of an unpleasant sight? And no need to judge it, just really, when, the, when it comes to mind, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? So, unpleasant sight, an unpleasant sound that you've encountered recently. An unpleasant smell you might have encountered recently. Maybe a taste. Think about a taste that's come to mind as unpleasant. A felt sense in the body, a felt sense of touch that's been unpleasant, like falling off a rock climbing wall. And thought. What's an unpleasant thought? I know we got a bunch of those. <laughs> so this first arrow shows us that pain is inevitable. Just like we said last week, I mean like dukkha, suffering, birth, aging, sickness, death, these things all happen. And you'll hear me talk about, you know, the distinction between pain and suffering. And I want you to take what makes sense to you and leave the rest. But I feel like this first arrow of the sense doors, like understanding that shows us pain is really inevitable and dukkha is inevitable, unpleasantness is inevitable but suffering is not. Suffering is not inevitable. Or extending our own suffering doesn't need to happen. So when does suffering, if it doesn't need to happen, you know, and again, like we use these terms dukkha and suffering pretty interchangeably, and I want to make a distinction that they are different in a way. Dukkha is its own brand of suffering. Like I said, birth, aging, sickness, death, when things just aren't quite right. It's that inevitable uh, discontent that we seem to have as humans, right? The suffering I'm talking about now is like the like sitting at your desk crying kind of suffering, like the like the stuff that we don't have to swim in right? The stuff that we can avoid. So when does this second arrow, when does this real wave of suffering hit? So broke it up in the second half, the uninstructed run of the mill person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught. This is the second arrow. So first is just when touched with a feeling of pain. The second arrow is sorrow, grief, lamenting, anger, distress. Which brings us back to the overarching topic, which is Sankara Dukkha, which is what we talked about uh, last week. The intentional formation 
of thoughts in response to pain or unpleasantness in the sense spheres. This is a type of dukkha. And it says intentional, but it feels like pretty knee-jerk for me. <laughs> like I want to, like I said, I, I want to know who shot me with the arrow. I want to know why they did it, what kind of bow they were using, what idiot sold it to them, plus their home address and like a list of their fears. You know what I mean? Like I want to like know. And it's knee-jerk. It's like I feel like I don't even decide to go into this land of second arrowness. I feel like it just happens. And I think it's because our culture, we want an explanation because we're so able to get explanations so quick. I want to know why. And I find it often is one of two things for me. It's either a distraction from the pain itself. It's a distraction from the actual first arrow. Or somehow it makes me feel more in control of that pain, of that particular flavor. And so I wanted to kind of do an A-B and talk about my second arrows as they apply to the ones that I gave you for my first arrow. So some examples of how the second arrow shows up for me with that text message I was talking about. My friend sent me a text message that was like obviously disappointed, unpleasant. So my brain goes to, are they mad at me? What did I do wrong? Well, they forgot my birthday, so fuck them. You know, like that sort of thing. And it spins and spins and spins and spins. And all starting with what? A sight. Just a sight. And now all of a sudden, I'm kind of thinking some mean thoughts about my friend. Sound, traffic on Gallatin. Maybe you're thinking during meditation, why did they put a meditation center here? <laughs> What asshole needs a motorcycle that loud? Oh, I hope that ambulance isn't headed to my house. Oh, you know, right? I know you've had these thoughts because I've had them. <laughs> this is the second arrow, all from a sound. Smell. I talked about picking up dog poop in the yard. My brain goes to like, I'm so lazy. Why did we even get a dog? People must be so annoyed that our yard isn't clean. Every delivery driver has to call us the poop house. It's gotta be awful. You know, like those are the things. And it's so funny how just a simple smell can trigger all of these thoughts. The two that I find are the, are the big heavy hitters for me are touch and thought. When those show up for me in, in pain, when I have physical, pain like in my body touch felt sense of pain it's it's really hard to avoid the second arrow same thing when i have an unpleasant or painful thought so talking about the rock climbing thing you know I, i'm eight years in recovery from anorexia and so my mind automatically what my mind did to me i fall and i'm sitting there just trying to like breathe through it and not pass out and my mind goes well you're too heavy to rock climb anyway that's what my mind tells me and this is dukkha and then I listen to it and I start to think well you're right like it's just I'm not built for it I really should get in shape oh my gosh what if this doesn't heal right and it was like weeks of this weeks of these thoughts all caused by pain in my ankle and the same thing with my car payment coming up 
you know? Why didn't I get a better job? Why didn't I finish college? How am I gonna make this work? I should have gotten a shittier car. Maybe I can sell a kidney, you know? And I find that sometimes, like I said, it feels pleasant to sit in those thoughts because I feel like I have some bit of control over it, which is like kind of relieving. And I don't know about you, but I've also learned sometimes that like it's more comfortable for me to be in chaos and it's more comfortable for me to have my mind run in circles around me. This process of catastrophizing and mind reading is pretty comfy. The shoulds and the shouldn'ts. These like anxiety-filled questions, that's where real suffering takes root. It's in the tanha of wanting things to be exactly how we think they should be. So this word tanha is pretty, uh, it's super connected with the word dukkha, which is suffering in a way, right? Birth, aging, sickness, death. Tanha, right? So this is the second noble truth. The first noble truth is that there is dukkha, there is suffering. The second noble truth is that all of our suffering is caused from craving. Thirst, this unquenchable thirst is what tanha is loosely translated to. I've heard it translated to. Unquenchable thirst. It's this unquenchable first thirst for things to be exactly how we want them. For my ankle not to be sprained. Right? For me to like enjoy mortgage banking. It's just a, a deep dissatisfaction with a need to change it. And so when we talk about this second arrow of all of these um, mental formations that come in as a response to pain in the senses, it's good to remember that just practicing mindfulness to be able to see it, again, like I said, is really powerful. To be able to note unpleasant. So it's like almost like it's like one of those things it's like you finally see the scary monster behind the closet door and you're like oh you're actually kind of cute you know so becoming aware of these mental formations um, specifically I find via mindfulness practice both on and off the cushion so just becoming good at noticing when these sensations arise and maybe even noticing when you start to have thoughts about the sensations right? And just noticing, not judging, just noticing and coming back to the moment, coming back to what you want to have your attention on. Just being here, showing up, sitting for 25 minutes, that's good enough. So I find that that's a really helpful practice for me when it comes to being able to see See the second arrow, see the suffering. Y'all heard that term, get it, like, get out of your own way? It feels like that. I feel like this is how I get in my own way, is the second arrow. And so sometimes being able to just see, just to have insight, can be really helpful. And then, you know, I'm a sucker for compassion. 
when we see our pain, turning kindness towards it instead of aversion makes it less loud. And so compassion, formally, um, is practiced here in phrases. Most of Buddhist traditions who practice heart practices, it's all phrase-based. So instead of sitting with the breath as your anchor, you'll come up with phrases, have phrases um, to put towards your pain. And compassion is just that. It's, it's, it's loving kindness. It's, yeah, it's loving kindness towards pain. So when I say compassion, I mean like treating your pain how we would treat a loved one's pain. I have it written down here. I wouldn't tell my niece who falls and skins her knee, you should have been more careful. That'll probably get infected. Instead, I would say, that scared you, didn't it? I'm sorry you're feeling hurt. I'm sorry you're feeling scared. How can I help? And so offering compassion to our pain, again, is this way of turning towards it in a wise way. Because we can turn towards it and create more suffering for ourselves, right? We can turn towards it and try to change it. Or we can turn towards it with compassion and maybe find relief in a similar way, just with wisdom. And so there are a lot of compassion phrases that you'll hear as you practice. Um, You may already have some compassion phrases that you like. In the past, I've used like, may I honor my pain? May I be okay with my pain? And I think the one that I want to offer that seems to hit the most um, poignantly for me right now is right now it's like this. And not in a way of like, well, hey, shit happens. You know, like I, I I want to offer it in a way of like, okay, right now it's like this. Right now it's like this. I was listening to a podcast and I heard Jack Kornfield say, what has the power to arise also has the power to pass away. And so remembering that pain, however permanent it may feel, is impermanent. So the next time that you feel pain in one of the sense spheres, maybe getting curious, like watch it show up and go away. Have y'all ever done that when you stubbed your toe? Like you, you hit your toe and you're like, whew, that is, that's pain. But you have no choice but to watch it. This happens for me sometimes when my leg falls asleep too. And I like have to like sit there with pins and needles for a minute. I'm deeply unpleasant, but I have no other choice than to sit and watch it. And so that kind of practice now, again, we don't need to subject ourselves to suffering. We don't need to subject ourselves to these things. You've heard, if you were here for my last talk on self-care as a courageous act, if you can make a choice, choose comfort, right? We don't need to, we don't need to beat ourselves up. The Buddha tried that. Literally, before his enlightenment, he ran with a group of ascetics that literally just trashed their bodies and it didn't work. So, 
you don't need to sit in your pain and sit in your suffering to get used to it. But if you have pain that arises that you can't change, get curious. Watch it arise. Watch it fall away. Right now it's like this. And right now it's like this. And right now it's like this. It's always going to change. Which is cool because it brings us back to these three marks of existence. Imperfect, impersonal, and impermanent. We can see that all of these marks are kind of intertwined. And I think it's really cool that seeing a Nietzsche or impermanence is a great way to remedy dukkha or extra suffering. Just seeing clearly impermanence. And I find there's relief in knowing that we don't have control. We don't have to fix anything. We don't have to change our pain to be happy. We can be in pain and be happy. Contrary to popular belief. Mikey's teacher, the Venerable Padiwadi, says, if your happiness isn't of this world, the world cannot take it away. So if we can cultivate inner happiness, the ability to be at ease, the ability to be kind to our pain, to be kind to the suffering, we can be happy and be in pain. We can simply just be with it as it is, with wisdom and compassion. And that's good news. It's funny to talk about dukkha and suffering and be like, no, I promise it's good news. You don't have to fix anything. <laughs>